Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. And Father, be with us as we open the truth of your word. Speak clearly to us, Lord. May we understand and apply what you've shown us, what you're going to show us. May we be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now take your Bibles and open to the Song of Songs, chapter 8. Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. We did not begin my sermon this morning with a video. That was intentional. We do have a video this morning we're going to show you. We're going to do it later in the service. I've had so many people ask us about those videos and compliment us about those videos. And it's been so fun for me to do them, to hear from those precious people. And we'll hear from another one this morning, a little bit later in our service. This is our final week in the sermon series we've entitled Passionate Pursuit. It's a study through the Song of Songs. And so we started in verse 1, chapter 1. We've worked through every verse trying to understand what God has shown us, trying to understand his calling for us in marriage. And so let me just encourage you. It's been really neat for me through this process over these last eight weeks to hear from various people about how God has worked in their marriage, what God is doing in their hearts, how he's beginning to change. And I had some some interesting conversations even between these services from the 930 to the 11. Let me just encourage you, if you kind of find your place, if you kind of find yourself right now in this place where the Lord has done some work in your heart at some point during this series, maybe you've recognized something about marriage that you had not seen before. Maybe you recognize something about yourself. Maybe you realize there's some things that you need to change or in the process of changing Let me just strongly encourage you to continue to walk down that road even when this series ends. I don't have to stand up every week and preach on marriage for you to work on your marriage. I don't have to stand up every week and preach on the Song of Songs to help you understand passion and intimacy in your marriage. You've learned enough these last eight weeks, and if you haven't, go back and re-listen to some of the podcasts, but you've had enough Bible over these last several weeks to take some truth some nugget of truth from the scripture and begin to apply it to your life. You don't have to change the world. You're going to change your marriage all at once, but pick one or two or three things that you recognize need to be changed in your marriage and begin to work with intentionality toward making those changes. Because if you'll do that, the Lord will speak to you and he'll work through you and do great things in your life. Now, this morning is going to be a little bit different We've actually set aside some time at the end of my sermon to do something we've, we've not done before with marriages, or at least not in a long time. We're going to have a very specific time of prayer at the end of this service. And you've already been given the prayer guide. If you don't have one, we'll get you some by the end of the service. But we're going to give you the opportunity here in just a little while with your spouse, with your family, if you're single, if you're divorced, whatever area of life you find yourself in, there's something for everybody on this prayer card we've given you. We're going to set aside time at the end of the service specifically to pray for your marriage, that God would just do great things in your midst. And so I'm going to kind of shorten my sermon a little bit this morning to give us the opportunity to kind of breathe at the end because I don't want to rush up against uh, this prayer time and not feel like we have time to kind of sit and pray. And at the 930 service, there were people all down of the altar, all across the congregation, just filled with people in prayer, just calling out to the Lord that he would bless their family. I pray that happens again today at the end of this service. 
But before we get there, we're going to walk through some scripture and we're going to answer this question. Is it possible for our love and our marriage to endure? Because if we listen to the world, it seems awfully difficult for a marriage to last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, doesn't it? That's becoming less and less the norm. More and more people are kind of falling into this model or falling into this trap that they believe that their marriage can kind of just be changed. And if they get mad at somebody, they'll just leave and find somebody else that makes them happy. I'm here to tell you that not only does the Lord want you to see the truth of his word... Not only does he have something to say about marriage, but marriage and love absolutely can endure. Your marriage can last for decades. You can find fulfillment and hope in your marriage. And my prayer is this morning, as it has been every week, that through the study of his word, he speaks clearly to you and you begin to understand a path forward to do the things God's called you to do so that your marriage can bring him glory. Now let's begin our study this morning in chapter 8 of Song of Songs. We have it on the screen as well, beginning in verse 1. We're going to walk through, I'll give you just a couple of uh, tidbits as we go, a little bit of information, and then we'll pause and kind of delve into these verses. We're going to begin chapter 8, verse 1. This is the woman speaking now to her husband. This is an interesting verse, I'm going to read it and then explain it. If only you, she's speaking to her husband, were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts, Then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. Remember, in in this time period, public affection, holding hands, kissing, hugging in public were looked down upon. This woman is saying, listen, if you were kind of like my brother in a sense that we could be together, then I could love you and show affection in public. Nobody would despise me, right? It's her desire again, we've seen this throughout, to be with him, to love him, to demonstrate her passion for him. Now verse 2. The woman's still speaking to the man. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left hand is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now verse 5, the friends are going to speak. These are the people that are around Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Now she's going to speak again. Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave, it burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame." Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Now let's pause for a second and let's think about this idea of enduring love. And I want you to see the first truth in this text and we're going to kind of build upon this. Here's the first thing we see, number one. We see in this couple the power of enduring love. The power of enduring love. Love. Now, if you're like me, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a, a sucker for '80s music. Anybody else a big '80s music fan? A couple of you, three. Y'all are y'all are ashamed to admit it. You're like, yeah. I love '80s music, and so when I read this power of love, first thing that comes to my mind is Huey Lewis and the News. Right, that's right. Now you're gonna laugh at me, but I'm such a big Huey Lewis and the News fan that I've got a new phone now. I need to change it, but my old phone. 
my ringtone for my wife was, do you believe in love? Right? So when, when y'all would call me, it would just go, and I'd be like, I don't know. When she would call, do you? I was like, whoa, yeah, hey. And I knew it was her. I had a special ringtone for her. I, I love his songs. But here's the interesting thing. If you start kind of looking in, in modern culture and you look at songs or movies or, or novels or magazines, the world kind of misses it when it comes to love. Because they believe the power of love is wrapped up in our emotions and the way we feel and our sexuality. Sometimes that's the way they view love. And so for for a lot of the world, people who've kind of bought into this lie, they get confused. And they, they think their love is all about their emotions and the way they feel. And so the problem is when they get to this point in their marriage, when the emotions fail them and they don't feel love anymore, they just move on. Now, we all know people like that. We all know couples. Maybe you've struggled with that in your marriage. And so what we begin to see in this text is there's a lot more to love than just the emotion. Absolutely, emotion, emotion should be part of it. Absolutely, the physical should be part of it. We've seen that throughout this text. But, but you need to get something about marriage. If you hadn't gotten it up to this point, you need to get it today. There's more than just that in their marriage. There's this foundation that we find throughout this book and really throughout the Scripture. And for us, and the way we live our lives today, it's a foundation in Christ. And it's a foundation in us saying there's more than just emotion. There's this covenant. There's this promise I've made to you. And whether it's a good time or a bad time, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sick or in good health, I've promised to be with you and I'm going to keep my promise. Now some, for some people, that's kind of a foreign idea. But I want you to notice what this woman says to this man in verse 6. I want you to notice the imagery and the words that she uses to explain to him this power of love that kind of undergirds all about who she is. Look at verse 6. Pull that up if you would for me. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Now, we, we understand this. Whether you're 4,000 years ago or in the current world, death is unyielding. Right? Once you die, that's it. Now, we understand the afterlife and heaven, and we, we get all that. But as far as the physical body is concerned, death is strong. The grave is unyielding. She's saying love is as strong as that. Look at the second part of verse 6. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. She's saying to this man, listen, there's more than just emotion. There's more than just feeling. I want you to place a seal upon your heart and upon my heart. And when we place that seal upon our hearts, we're not going to let anybody else in. See, for people living during this time period, a seal was kind of a big deal. They would, they would wear these rings. Rich people or important people would wear these rings with, a, with kind of a piece of metal that had this imprint on it. And when they wanted to seal something, they would take this wax and they would heat it and they would drip the wax and they would press down into the wax with the seal and it would leave this imprint. And when it hardened, it was there for all the world to see. And depending on how powerful or wealthy you were, nobody could break that seal but you. And so she says to this man, listen, I want you to place a seal upon your heart. I want to have a seal upon my heart. And I want to set our marriage up in such a way that nobody can get through this seal, right? I'm kind of, I'm kind of walling myself off to the rest of the world. 
I think it's important for us kind of in this moment to be reminded of the warnings we find throughout Scripture against adultery. Now, this isn't a sermon on adultery or a sermon series about adultery, but when this woman talks about sealing her heart, we need to be reminded that God has called us to marry our spouse. When we marry our spouse, we should place a seal upon our hearts, and when we place a seal upon our hearts, it means we don't let anybody else in. Now, here's what we do, right? We, we live in a world where we understand adultery. We've just seen it. We know it. And we probably know people that have been involved in it. Maybe some of us have repented from that ourselves in our own lives. But here's what we do with adultery. We kind of draw this line in the sand and we say, adultery is this physical act of being with this other person. That's what we say. And I would agree with that. Adultery is a physical act. But here's what far too many people allow themselves to do. They won't cross that boundary of the physical But what they will do is they'll cross the boundary of the emotional. And they won't have physical contact yet, but they'll allow another person into their lives emotionally. So what does that look like for you? Well, you let that other person who's not your wife, men, know some things about you that nobody else ought to know. Or you let her in on some secrets or some struggles that you're having with your wife that nobody else knows about. Or ladies, you find a man who will listen to you because your husband doesn't often do it and you like to tell him all the struggles you're having and some of your hopes and your dreams. As we begin to walk down that path, that becomes very quickly an emotional affair. And unfortunately, a lot of emotional affairs, if you don't recognize it and stop it, will very quickly become physical affairs. And you'll wake up one morning and you'll think, how did I get to this place? One step at a time, by not sealing your heart and not allowing anybody else to come in. I'm reminded as I think about this passage and about sealing our heart and about the the power of love and the enduring qualities of love. It reminds me that if you're a student or unmarried or single, you ought to be very careful in who you give your heart to. You shouldn't just give it away to everybody. There's there's this trend in the world now and, and, and... there's this, there's this thought process in the world that goes something like this. I don't need to commit yet. I need to kind of play the field, so to speak. I'm going to hook up with a lot of people, students, right? Because that's a popular thing to do. I'm going to live with somebody before marriage. I'm going to date all these people and just enjoy it and be physical with them because I've got to figure out who I bond with and who I can, who I can figure out who's going to love me and if we're compatible. And, and that may sound good on paper. The problem is if you talk to the people that live their lives like that, they're always regrets. You don't have to believe me, you can just ask around. But I, personally, I've never met a person who said, you know, I just lived this life years ago and was promiscuous and lived with people and sexual encounters, and I'm just so happy about that now that I'm married. <laughs> now that I found the woman of my dreams, I'm so happy I lived like that. What an exciting time in my life. What they say instead is, you know, I wish I had just waited and saved myself for her. Because this is the woman I want to be with the rest of my life, and I want to give myself fully to her, and now I've got this baggage I've got to deal with. Students, if, if you're at the point of kind of considering love or marriage or whatever that looks like for you, guard your hearts. Love is like a roaring fire, Scripture says. It can't even be washed away with this river. We place a seal upon our hearts when we commit ourselves to another person. Guard your hearts, find the person God has called you to marry, and then understand the power of enduring love as we trust Christ. Now, we, we need to continue this one. Look at verse 8. 
Now, the brothers are going to speak just for a second, right? These are the men that have spoken at the beginning of the book. We hadn't heard them for a while. They're the brothers of this woman. Eight and nine are interesting. I'm going to explain it to you. Bear with me, but just listen to what's said here. These are the brothers. We have a little sister. Her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she's a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar, right? So they've spoken about this girl. She's remembering back years before because she's grown now. She's not a little girl, but she's remembering days past. Now she's going to answer them in verse 10. I am a wall. My breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamam. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon. Two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. Now, just a couple of quick things before I give you point number two. There is mention throughout these verses of the idea of value and wealth. These brothers are going to build a tower of silver on their sister. A thousand shekels of silver for the fruit of the vineyard, 200 for those who tend its fruit. We see, again, this is poetic. We're going to walk through this together, but here's truth number two. We've seen the power of enduring love, number one. Now, number two, we're going to see the value of enduring love. There is great value in a long-lasting marriage. As I talk to these people, These folks that have done these videos for us, these older couples who've kind of been there and done that, been married for 40, 50, 60 plus years. One of the things they say to me over and over again, and they say it in different ways, but they have kind of the same theme. I've heard it from almost every couple, is the longer we're married, the more we appreciate our spouse. The longer I'm married, the more I appreciate my wife. Or the longer I'm married, the more I appreciate my husband. There's this, there's this sense of a deepening love, a deepening understanding of the other person, a respect for the other person. And they would say what we see in this text, that no money is worth that relationship. Nothing, on the world, nothing in the world is worth trading the, the, the passion and the love and the closeness and the comfort and the joy that I experience in a long-lasting marriage. Nothing in the world is worth that to me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. We see the same idea in the heart of this woman. Bring up verse 7, if you would, for me, please. Look at how verse 7 ends. Chapter 8, verse 7. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love it would be utterly scorned, right? There's nothing of more value than my love for my spouse. There's nothing of more value to me than this marriage, than this person I've poured my life into. 1 Corinthians 13, I always like to read this when I do weddings because it talks about love. I think we've got that on the screen as well. I'm not gonna do the whole passage, but I just want you to notice a couple of interesting things about this text. 1 Corinthians 13, verse four, love is patient, Go back. There you go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Verse 5, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then down to verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 
There's this enduring quality of love found in 1 Corinthians 13. And the thing that I really like about it, the thing that I try to bring out when I'm speaking to couples that are going to get married, is when you begin to study through 1 Corinthians 13, love is really not about what you can get or what you want or your desires. It's basically about kindness and sacrifice for the other person. Love is patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, not easily angered. Now, if we were honest with ourselves and we read through that verse thinking the way that we think oftentimes, we would say something like this, love is not patient, love is not kind, sometimes I am envious. Sometimes I want to boast. Sometimes I am proud. I am self-seeking. Sometimes I'm easily angered. On and on the list goes. But we begin to understand as we study Song of Songs and, and how this woman lives, she understands and she sees the value of her enduring love. It's worth more than all the gold in the world. In fact, in verse 9, pull verse 9 up again if you would please. These brothers talking about this young girl, and this is years before, and they've said, what's going to happen when she grows up and somebody calls for her, right? Somebody's ready to marry her. And they give this just interesting two ideas in verse 9. There's, there's kind of this if this. If she's a wall. Now, a wall keeps out, right? I'm not going to re-preach this, but we went through this whole uh, section of Scripture back in the early part of this, ver- this book where we talked about the idea of waiting and purity, and if you're not married, saving yourself for your spouse. If she is a wall, right, if she has protected herself, if she's kept other people out, if she's remained pure, then what? We'll build a tower of silver on her, right? There's, there's great value in purity. Now, let, let's kind of, let's translate this to our lives. Let's just kind of make this simple for us. If you're not yet married, there's great value in saving yourself for marriage, If you are married, there's great value in keeping everybody but your spouse out. You understand that? There's great value there. It's worth more than gold. It's worth more than silver. It's a valuable gift worth fighting for, right? We see the value of enduring love. Now, we need to finish up because I'm running out of time. Look at verse 13. She's going to speak. He's going to speak. First him, you who dwell in the gardens, he's speaking to his wife, with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice, right? It's kind of flirtatious, I'd like to hear your voice, I'd like to hear you speak. She responds in verse 14, come away, my beloved, be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Here's truth number three, we've, we've, we've seen the power of love, we've seen the value of love, now number three, we see the passion of enduring love. We see the passion of of enduring love. We've seen throughout our study this idea of passion and intimacy and even until the very end we see this couple. They desire to be with one another. They want to hear each other's voice. They want to run away together. She sees him as this gazelle, right? Young. At least she remembers him like that. Strong and fast. She desires to be with him. There's this sense that even as their love has grown, even as they've gotten older, even as their love has endured difficult times, there's still within their marriage this passion. One writer said it like this, this conclusion to the song reminds us that love is not a destination in which we arrive, but a journey to be undertaken together, a song that truly never ends. Now here's here's the difficult part about that precious gift 
and the commitment that God has given us. Sometimes, in order for our love to endure, we have to sacrifice very deeply. Sometimes we have to sacrifice ourselves until the very end. But if our love, now this is important, if our love is built on our own desires and our own gratification, then it will fail. But if our love is built on giving ourselves to our spouse, no matter the cost, then our love will endure to the very end. You know, sometimes love requires us to go through very difficult moments. Sometimes it requires us to endure things that we never really thought possible or imaginable. But I I want you to hear this truth as we finish up this series this morning. Regardless of what path you're walking down, whether it's sickness or death or affairs or struggles or whatever, whatever path you're walking down, God can still work. God desires for you to have a good marriage. God desires for you to find hope and peace and joy in that marriage. And we're going to pray this morning that God does an amazing work in the hearts of our people. So I'm going to pray for us. Then I'm going to give you some very clear instructions. If you have your prayer guides, I want you to go ahead and get them out. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for your faithfulness. Even in our sin, you are faithful. Father, you desire to do great work. Lord, you use us to accomplish great things for you. Be with these marriages. May your name receive honor and glory in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. Every person here should have received a little prayer card. If you didn't have one, I'll bring one to you. Our ushers have one. You can slip your hand up and they'll get you one. I'm going to ask you for the next few moments. We have one down here that needs one. Guys, if y'all bring one down here. For the next few moments, I want you to spend some time praying with your spouse. Every person should find a place. If you're married, if you're single, if you're uh, separated, if you're divorced, there's a whole list. You find your place in here and you get with your spouse or your family or maybe alone if you need to. Or maybe you need to pray with another family. And I want you to spend some time praying. And I'm going to encourage you to, to stand up. You guys go ahead and stand up. You can come down front. You can kneel. There were, there were families all along, along the front in the first service. You can pray in the aisles. I would love to see just little groups of families huddled together, praying together this morning that God would do great things in their marriage. So we're just going to spend a few minutes finishing this series with a time of commitment and prayer to him. So stand up right where you are and let's spend some time just praying together. Father, we believe in you and we trust you and we know that you can do miraculous things if we'll just follow you, Lord. Be with the marriages of this church, of this community, of our country, Lord. Help us to recognize that as we live our lives for you, as we bring you honor and glory in the things we say and do, Father, our marriages will be strengthened. Father, you will do great things in our lives. You are the God of miracles. We trust you to heal and to mend and to fix things that are broken. Father, fix the marriages that are in struggles right now, Father. Strengthen those that are walking in faith with you. And in all things, we pray that your name would receive honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have a great day. See you back next Sunday morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. 
Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.